Even the, the best of disciples, Paul, went through things like this. And so I think what I, what I am getting from this is God wants everyone to know that it's okay if you're ticked off at him. It's okay if you don't understand. It's okay if you feel like he's nowhere near you because it happens to all of us. And we need to continually come back to him and remember that he is there, that he is strong, that he is loving, that he can heal, all those things, that the victory has been won, all of those things over and over again. And that's why I feel like this whole grace thing has, uh, has come to fruition here in these services. You know, I mean, I'm sorry for you, maybe, but I'm glad that God has brought this forward. Most of the stuff, all of the stuff I've told you has been hard, has been heartbreaking for me, as is evident by me crying, as all those things. And I thought it only fair to share with you something that God's doing right now, something that is a little bit more miraculous, a praise. Um, Grace has been seizure-free for seven days now. Um, yeah. Seizure-free is the way to be. Um, I have a T-shirt that says that. Uh, and so, you know, we're very excited about that. And we've been very excited about that. She's on these steroid shots that apparently some of the side effects are she'll, she's going to eat a lot, uh, which is good because she was on medicine that was making her not eat. So we're trying to beef her back up. I'm entering her in a strong baby contest in a couple months. Um, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> what time is it? Uh, and another one is roid rage. Yeah, baby roid rage. If you've ever seen a baby have roid rage... Um, it's wonderful. Uh, pacifiers get thrown around our house now. Just rah! constant fussy, constant mad um, at us for some reason, for me giving her the shots, uh, which if you ever had to give your child a shot, it's not fun. But, and then the other thing, which apparently is not in the literature, um, is your baby will wake up every morning at four o'clock. I didn't read this when I was reading about the steroid shots, but apparently that is the case because every morning you can set your clock by grace at 410, I'm awake and I'm ready to eat. Well, Grace has been going through a teething uh, issue. She's teething, her teeth hurt. Uh, a, a, a byproduct of teething, I don't know if you know this, I've learned this recently, is diarrhea. Uh, so she's got that going on. Her bottom hurts, her teeth hurt. She's hungry, but she doesn't want to eat. All this stuff going on and she's got roid rage, but every morning she wakes up at four and wants to eat. And she's mad because she's not. So uh, last two nights ago, um, I, Jenna made a deal with me. It was, you will get up when she wakes up. That was the deal. And uh, so at, at 4.10, um, I hear Grace start to stir. And so I hop up right away because I'm no dummy. And I run, I turn the monitor off, and then I go in, and I, and I make the bottle, and I pick Grace up. And I sit down, and I'm trying to feed her, and she's just mad. You know, she won't eat. She'll take a sip, and then it hurts, and so she spits it out. So I get the aura gel on my finger, and I... My fingers are big and I'm trying to stick it in this little baby's mouth. I'm like, I should go wake Jenna up to do this. No, you can do this on your own. This is the conversations I have in my head all the time. Um, at least it's just me talking. And so I, I go through all this stuff and I sit there and finally she's kind of calming down. She's eating and I start praying, you know, God, this child's yours. I don't know what's going on. Just, you know, let her eat so I can go back to sleep. Do you know what time it is, God? Are you aware of the time? All of these things. And I'm talking to God and I said, you know, God, it, she's yours. I know that she's yours. I know that the Holy Spirit dwells inside of her. And you know, I just claim that, that the Spirit moves inside of her. I don't know what's going on in her life. I don't know when this bottle is going to be empty, but I know this. And so I sat there for a little bit, and it turns out the Holy Spirit wasn't the only thing inside of her because I started smelling some stuff. And so I get up and I walk over to the changing table, and 
I, I start changing her and she's, you know, the changing table, happy place to be generally, I guess, for anyone in that situation. Um, and she smiled at me and she laughed. And that was the first time in almost two months that we'd seen that. I was so excited. For most kids, that's nothing. But for us, it is huge. I was so excited, but it was four something in the morning and I didn't want to wake her up anymore. I was like, yeah, shh, it's okay. <laughs> Let's go back to sleep. And so I fought for another like hour and a half to get the bottle downer and I put her back in the crib and I go get back in bed and Jenny goes, she kind of woke up. How'd everything go? I said, it went fine. I said, she smiled and laughed. Jenny grabs me. Really? I said, yeah, it was awesome. But don't go in there. <laughs> She's going to sleep. The monitor's on and all of a sudden she just starts giggling. She wouldn't go back to sleep. She was laughing. She was looking at her mobile or something. I think she was remembering every joke that I told her over the past two months and she was finally getting them all. <laughs> but she smiled and laughed for most of the day yesterday. Praise God. That was such an amazing thing for us to see. An amazing thing for parents that had seen it and have a picture and have a video of it, but had lost it. And my prayer had been that God would remove the veil from her mind. And yesterday we saw it. And I saw it again this morning when she looked me straight in the eye and grabbed my lip down when I was trying to sing. She wouldn't make eye contact for the past couple of months either. It's amazing to see God work in this child. And I just wanted to share with you, because I always share the, you know, even though I'm kind of blubbering right now, I always share the hard stuff that, that great things happen, that God still works in this world and God still moves in this world. It may not come in the time that we think. It may not come in the ways that we desire, but God moves in this world. So uh, baby Grace is, uh, I mean, I think she's the most famous baby in here because of me. And uh, she's just moving and grooving and she's a wonderful child. I just wanted y'all to know and experience the victory that we did yesterday as well. So there you go. <clears throat> and now to segue um, from that, speaking of babies, have you ever wanted a baby so bad you wanted to kidnap one? <laughs> yeah. Have you ever said that, that, oh, I could just take that child. She's so cute or he's so cute. You've just wanted to take a child because it was so cute. There's a movie called Raising Arizona. How many of you have seen it? Quite a few of you. Raising Arizona is a movie about a couple, Ed and Hi, who can't have a baby. They, uh, no matter what they can do, they're not going to have a baby on their own, but they really want a baby. There's another couple in their same town, the Arizona family. They're furniture moguls. Nathan, Arizona. They have five children, quintuplets, at one time. The news is there, of course, and they're interviewing Nathan Arizona on TV, and he says, we have more babies than we can handle. It's kind of like one of his furniture commercials. <laughs> Everything must go. He says, we have more babies than we can handle. Well, Ed sees this, and she thinks, if they have more babies than they can handle, we need to take one off of their hands because we need a baby. And so a series of circumstances leads them to this. Watch this right here.
up and check on him. Sound restless. I'm sorry, honey. It just didn't work out. What do you mean it didn't work out? Well, they they started crying and they were all over me. It was kind of horrifying, honey. Let me in. Of course they cried, baby. Cry. Well, I know that. Now, come on, honey. We better leave. You go right back up there and get me a toddler. I need a baby high. They got more than they can handle. Oh, honey. Don't I... you come back here without a baby. <laughs> And if you know what happens next, he goes back up there, he takes a baby, and as he calls it, the instruction manual. Hey, we got an instruction manual. It's a Dr. Spock book. Have you ever wanted something so much that you're willing to do almost anything to get it? Have you ever wanted something so bad that it just became infused in you that you had to have it? You know, this kind of goes along with what we talked about last week, that that need to have something that, that's going to fix it or that, that desire to have something that you think is what you need and, and need the most out of anything. Have you ever wanted something so bad and someone else had it that you got ticked off at them? Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever, have you ever looked at somebody else and, and you saw something that they had and you're like, I'd really like to have that. There's a guy in our community, his name is Peter Hennessy. Peter has a huge truck. Uh, I don't know if y'all know Peter or have seen it. You've probably seen his truck around. He's got this big, beautiful white Ford four-door jacked up. He's got a great stereo and everything. I look at that truck from time to time and go, I'd like to have that truck. I would run over anybody in traffic. Have you ever looked at somebody and just said, I want what they have? You know, that's Okay. Looking at someone and saying, wow, they have a nice truck. I wouldn't mind having a truck like that. Or they have a nice home. You know, it's decorated well. That's not, you know, I wouldn't mind having a house like that. But then have you taken it to the next step? Have you taken it down the road just a little bit? Hey, he has a nice truck. How come he has that truck? He doesn't deserve that truck. I deserve that truck. Have you ever gone just a little bit too far in your wants, in your mind? Maybe nobody else knows it, but you're looking at someone else and you're something that you, that you want, that you feel like you need. And you look at them and you're like, well, I want that. Why the heck do they have it? In Psalm 73, David's talking about this. David, a guy that knew all about it, all about looking at something that didn't belong to him and wanting it. If you remember the story, David saw this beautiful woman and he says, I want that and I'll do anything to get it. It's that word covet. Remember that word covet from the 10 commandments, covetousness. Try to say that. It's hard to say covetousness. 
Yeah, why is it so bad? Why is it so bad to look at somebody else's life and to want what they have? Why is that so wrong? Psalm 73. Truly, God is good to Israel, to those whose hearts are pure. But as for me, I came so close to the edge of the cliff. My feet were slipping and I was almost gone for I envied the proud when I saw them prosper despite their wickedness. They seem to live such a painless life. Their bodies are so healthy and strong. They aren't troubled like other people or plagued with problems like everyone else. Do you know somebody like that? You look at them and like, you know, nothing ever goes wrong for them. They just always skate by. Everything comes easy for them. Everything at their home, at work, whatever, nothing ever goes wrong for them. Do you know somebody? There's always that one person in your life. Eric Widmar was the guy in my life. He was in high school. He was the captain of the football team. I was the captain of the basketball team. He was the student body president. I was the senior class president. I was always like one step behind Eric Widmar. Everything always seemed to come easy for him. You know, he was that guy that walked around. He was like A.C. Slater. Remember A.C. Slater from Saved by the Bell? He was that dude that walked around. He was like A.C. Slater and Zach Morris rolled into one. And I was always trying to catch up to him. And I'd look at Eric all the time and go, man, how come, how come everything comes so easy for him? You know, he's getting, we, were all, we were in all the same classes. One year we had every single class together. It got annoying looking at him all the time. I got sick of it. Just everything always seems to come so easy for Eric Widmar. I remember I felt it when we went back for our 10-year reunion. I went back and, and he was the one person that I really kind of didn't want to see. 10 years later, I'm still holding on to this. I have no idea where his life had gone since then. I was in seminary. I was married to this beautiful, the best-looking girl I've ever seen. No offense to the rest of y'all, but she's hot. And, and I walk in there and I'm like, and I'm ready to hear how successful he is and how amazing his life is going. And he's in the army and uh, he was a uh, tank commander. Now he was in law school in Salt Lake City or something and doing well. And he's just moving through the ranks, being promoted faster than any, you know, one of those things, one of those guys. You ever have anybody like that in your life? And you just look at him, you're like, well, why is that so easy for him? What's going on in his life that, that I'm not doing so that I'm just kind of trudging through. And you start to just turn a little bit. You start to have that darkness kind of seep inside of you. Why is everything going so easy for them? They wear their pride like a jeweled necklace. Their clothing is woven of cruelty. These fat cats, that's what my translation says, I like it, have everything their hearts could ever wish for. They scoff and speak only evil. In their pride, they seek to crush others. They boast against the very heavens and their words strut throughout the earth. And so the people are dismayed and confused, drinking in all their words. He's starting to see them a little differently and he's starting to look at them through different eyes. He's kind of got not rose colored glasses on, but I don't know, evil colored glasses on. I don't know what color that is, but he's looking at them and he's kind of casting these venomous thoughts on them. Verse 11, he says, Does God realize what's going on? Is the most high even aware what is happening? How can, how can God know what's going on and let these people be so successful? How can God see what's going on in this world and see what these people are really like? Cause I know, and yet they're so successful and things are going so well for them. And otherwise, Sane thinking person can fall into this trap when you start to covet. I can look across the city, a university Methodist, 
And I can look at their contemporary service that we helped start. They're getting a new building built for them. What are they doing that we're not doing? We actually have more people that show up on Sundays for our service, but they're getting a new building. How come we're not? I'm following all the right moves. I'm walking through the thing. I'm trying to pray to God and direct our path. And yet Ryan over there is getting a new building. The guy wears his collar up to annual conference and struts in like he's Joe Cool. How come everything's going so right for him? Ryan's a very nice guy, by the way, if anyone knows him. But why, why are things going well? Does God not see what we're doing here? Does God not realize what we're doing? We help start them. And yet here we are. Are you missing this God? And you start to have those little feelings stir inside of you. And that, that little bitty seed that starts out small starts to germinate, starts to grow. And you start to look at the Ryans and the Eric's of the world a little differently. And you go, huh, they don't deserve that. I deserve that. Was it for nothing that I kept my heart pure and kept myself from doing wrong? See, that's the next statement that always comes. God, I'm doing everything you're asking me to do. I'm following your path. I've given my life to serve you. Was it all for nothing? Everything that I've done from the moment I answered the call to serve you, not all of it's been easy. Seminary wasn't necessarily easy. Coming here back to this church where my wife grew up wasn't easy. Taking over for Scott, who is loved and beloved and revered, St. Scott, as I like to call him to his face, that's right, wasn't easy. What have I done all of these things for if you're going to do this to me, God? Was all I done for nothing? He says, all I get is trouble all day long. Every morning brings me pain. See, when you, when you start to look at other people's lives, when you start to covet, when you start to have envy and jealousy, these thoughts start germinating in your life. It may be a small little trickle at first, but it starts to grow and grow and becomes a waterfall of just contempt. Those people, those people that have it all, it comes so easy to them. I can't stand those people. Have you ever kind of felt that way, even just for a moment? That you're coveting something someone else had. See, I mean, what's the the real issue here? I mean, what's the, if you look at something, and I can look at university and go, man, they're building a new building. That's awesome. I want a new building. It's no secret that I want a new building for new heights, that we don't have to put the chairs up. We have our own chairs. We got our own stage. We're not in a box that is bad for sound. You know, there's all these things. I can look at them and go, man, it'd be great to have that. And I can want something more for our service. I can want something more for my career. I can want something more for my family, whatever. It's when you take that step across the line. When you're coveting, you take that step across the line and begin to look at the other person in a negative light. Why do they have it and I don't? Why is that guy always getting promoted at work when he's just a goof off and I'm not? When you begin to covet, it begins to change the way you deal with people. You begin to see them in a negative light. David starts talking about it. Verse 18. Truly, you put them on a slippery path and send them sliding over the cliff to destruction. In an instant, they're destroyed, swept away by terrors. 
Their present life is only a dream that is gone when they awake. When you arise, O Lord, you will make them vanish from this life. Listen to the words he's saying about these people. At some point, God, you're just going to crush them. Yes. Can't wait for that day. When you begin to covet something someone else has, you, you build this, this resentment for them. And maybe it leads you to kidnap a child. Probably not. But maybe it leads you to view them in a light where you murder them in your mind. What did it do to David? It made David send this general off to war, to the front lines where he knew he would be killed. David didn't pull the trigger, but he loaded the gun. All so he could get this woman. It changes who you are. What, when somebody asks Jesus, what are the greatest commandments? What does he say? Love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Those are the two. We're the greatest commandments. He gives you two. Love God with everything you are and love everyone else just the same. When you begin to covet and you begin to look at people in a different light, you're failing on those commandments. You're failing to what God has called you to do. You're not loving someone else when you're looking at them with disdain. You're not loving someone else when you look at them and go, that guy's not worthy of that job or that truck or that whatever. It's a slippery path, covetousness. But David goes on. He says, then I realized how bitter I'd become, how pained I had been by all I had seen. I was so foolish and ignorant. I must have seemed like a senseless animal to you. He realizes what's going on. He's looking at these people, the Ryan and the Eric's of the world. And he's going, there's nothing wrong with them. There's something wrong with me. I've fallen away from what you have commanded. I've fallen away from the love that you've given me to give everyone else. It's not their problem, it's mine. See, the danger is we fall down this path of looking at people with disdain and breaking the commandment of loving your neighbor as yourself. The dangerous part is falling away from God. Because when we begin to covet, that's exactly what we do. I know you've experienced it in your life at some point. I, I experience it. There are times when I look at children that are the same age as my daughter and I look at the parents and I go, well, what did, they, what did they do? What did they do to deserve such a healthy baby? They're not serving God like I am. And then I got to wake up. How foolish and ignorant I am to look at them and think that there's anything wrong with them. What's happening is I'm missing the blessings in my, old, in my own world when I'm looking at the blessings in someone else's. I'm missing the joys and the victories in my own life when I look at someone else and I say, I just wish I had that. And God's going, look what I've given you. Look at the wonderful wife you have. Look at the great job you have. Look at the incredible child that you have. 
Look at the house you have. Look, look at all the blessings I've given you. Isn't that enough? I've given you life. I've given you the victory of salvation. Isn't that enough? It's when we falter. It's when we fall away from God that we say, no, I'm entitled to more. It's that prosperity theology that says when you pray long enough and you pray hard enough, you'll get whatever you want. That's a dangerous theology because it leads to covetousness, I think. I think it leads you away from God. How do you guard against this? How do you guard against looking at someone a little differently because they have something you want? Like anything I will ever tell you, spend time with God. Spend time praying, spend time reading the word, spend time worshiping, spend time in a small group where you're walking through your struggles and your victories together. Spend time with God, plain and simple. There will be times when you will have to wake up and call yourself ignorant and foolish and return. But if you spend time with God, there won't be many. When you spend time with God, he will always take you back. When you spend time with God, he will open your eyes to the joys and blessings of this world. The song that they sang at the end there. I see the joy in the sunshine. I can't remember the the words, Ben. I'm sorry. He just walked in right when I'm butchering his song. Great. I see the blessings in the sunshine. I see the blessings when I wake up every morning and breathe. Spend time with God. And you will never chase after that toddler. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for this world that you have created. For all the blessings that you have bestowed upon us in this world and in our lives. Forgive us when we forget about those. Forgive us when we look to someone else with contempt. Because they have what we think we're entitled to. Father, forgive us for turning our backs on you. Help us to see our life, our very life, our salvation is the blessing that it truly is. Help us all to have the discipline to spend more time with you that we might truly experience the blessing that comes with knowing you and being loved by you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll see you next week for Hitch. Mark Williams will be doing it. finishing summer at the movies and then the back to school luau. And after that, we're going to stay with school, the basics of Jesus, the Bible and the church. You can go online probably towards the end of next week and submit a question about one of those three things. And I will answer it or make something up. See you next week. Time lapses in between. Search for any-